We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And as yesterday's show was ending, we hit stop, and then Mike was like, hey, I got an idea for tomorrow's pod, but I don't want to tell you guys about it until it's there. So, Mike, what do you have in store for us today? Well, just for one of the segments, I have a little game, and we're essentially testing some of your guys' Laker history knowledge, and folks can play along at home, and it's not, it's not, these are not, this is not complicated. This is very basic. I want to see how this goes, if you guys love it or hate it, and I can switch up to a different type of game, but Darius is already shaking his head. Already saying stuff like, it's basic. You're just setting us up for embarrassment. You're already setting the stage that it's just like, see, I think this is easy. And if it's not, oh, oh, okay, okay, good, good. Set the proper expectations for me here because I don't want to feel like, oh, the lifelong Laker fan doesn't know anything about the Lakers because I'm getting anxious here. There's there's starting to be a little bit of anxiety. Hey, man, look, welcome to Sports Talk Radio. Okay, this is what happens. (laughs) It just gets burst on you. Now, if you do hate it, then uh, Pete can just edit it out and we'll do a different diff- different thing and start the podcast differently. All right. No, let's get to it. You have my attention. I'm yes. intrigued. Yes, I have intrigued well, as well. Here's the thing. So you guys you guys are working as a team, okay? You're not you're not going against each other. And oh, I'm going to I'm going to give you a one minute time limit and I'm just gonna give you a category and you're going to try to fill out and it's a it's a list of ten. Okay. So You have one minute to tell me the 10 leading scores in Lakers history. All right. So Kobe, Magic, uh, James Worthy, Kareem. This is in Kareem, of course. Kareem, Uh, yep. Four for four. uh, Jamal Wilkes. Yep. Number 10. Jerry West. Elgin Baylor. Jerry West. Elgin Baylor. Correct. Gail Goodrich. How many do we have? You've got two more. And you've got... 30 seconds Shaq so and one more got, and if you need if you need a hint in the back then I can provide one for you so there's one more so there's, there's one, one more. more is it Byron Scott bingo that now, was gonna nice this was a flawless go victory team. 
See, okay, you're 10 for 10. It took you 38 seconds. Now, if you got, if you guys beat that at home, and obviously no cheating, uh, then congratulations to you. Very impressive 10 for 10 in 38 seconds. Uh, that's how the film room does this. They had no warning, as you heard, and did the quiver in Darius's voice. Okay, next category, rebounds. Go. All right, Cream, Wilt, Elmore yep. Smith? Uh, no. Okay, no Elmore Smith. Happy Hairston? Negative. Damn. This one is a little harder. James we- Worthy? Worthy is not on the list. Oh, man. Uh, AC Green. AC Green, correct. Okay. Um, are we including Minneapolis? Yes. Uh, Mikan and Mickelson? Mickelson, yeah. Uh, Mik- Mickelson, yes. Mikan, no. No, okay. Shaq? Shaq? Did Shaq, we get Shaq? Yes. Or- yeah, Shaq. Wilt? We did Wilt. You got Wilt, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, um... Gosh, this is a harder one, Mike. Jeez. One. You still got 15 seconds. So quick prompter. Just just think about a g- couple guys you don't think about rebounding, but, you know, play for the Lakers for a long time. Uh, Kobe? Probably Kobe's one. probably in there that top 10. Kobe's Magic number Johnson? Three. Magic's number four. Three has, seconds left. Has LeBron cracked it? Okay, not quite. All right. Now, that, that was still pretty good. So number one was Elgin. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah, we I, forget that Elgin averaged like 17 rebounds. And stuff no, some he years. was. Yeah, like he was, yeah. Monster, one. He was uh. a monster on <laughs> the glass. Like you, I remember Mike reading about some of his numbers and just thinking to myself, these numbers do not make sense. Like they, yeah. they, 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 his numbers literally do not make sense. Pete, I think you had worked on some Elgin content in mm-hmm. like last year. Right. And I'm sure when you were going through just all stuff, Elgin, it was what an unbelievable player. Just one of the guys who's lost to history. Anytime Elgin comes up, I just want to make sure that we give the dude his props because he was the original. Yeah, he was the original dude that spawned the types of guys like the Dr. J's and the David Thompson's and then into the Michael Jordan's and, and all of those guys. The first dude that was like that was Elgin Baylor. And so I always think of him as the player that brought the game from black and white to Technicolor, right? Yeah. Like he was the first of the next era. All right. Do we have assists next, next Mike? No, I, I didn't do assists. Uh, I just, I, I only have a, I have two more categories. I don't want to take this all day. And again, this is just a little inroads into it. Uh, sure, Rudy sure. LaRusso was number nine. That's mm-hmm. one that um, I or very mm-hmm. few people would have gotten. And then Jerry West uh, came in 10th. Oh, so Jerry, Jerry popped on the list. All right. This one I think is a little bit more interesting just because of the way the game has changed. And it's three-point field goals made. And go. Uh, Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, Kobe Bryant, Derek yes, Fisher. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, where are snipers over the years? Glenn Rice wasn't here long enough. It's Byron Scott on Byron's- that list. Byron Scott's number four. Is Michael Cooper on that list? I was going to say. Coop is not. Not. I, yeah, that was when they were taking fewer of them. All right. Who are the, who are our shooters in recent years? Because that's when the attempt. Yes. Oh, really is, Think about so is D'Angelo years. Russell on that list? Not quite. No. Oh, okay. See? That'd be funny. Uh, but Lou another Williams? young Laker. No, uh, no. Uh, Lonzo couldn't have been, right? No. Uh, Jordan Hart- Clarkson? Who, who hung around a little bit longer than Lonzo and... Oh, Coos. You know, Coos. There you go. Coos yeah, is number, top 10. Number six. Wow. Oh, you said number six. six all time. Number six. 
<laughs> All right, so who All right, else we got seconds. from the last 20? Ah! Is Magic Johnson on that list? No. And time. Okay, so KCP somehow oh, was wow. number, is number five uh-huh. on this list, which just puts into kind of like, hey, who's the fifth greatest three-point shooter in Lakers history, right? <laughs> Based on volume, right? Not is uh, not percentage. Yeah, uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, you got Eddie Jones. So Rick Fox was one that's not that's uh, still yes. stuck in there. Mm-hmm. LeBron's about to pass Rick Fox. So LeBron's got 474. Rick Fox has 480. And then number 10, Swaggy P, Nick Young. Wow. So, Mike, what's the number one person? Who is it? Number one's Kobe by a lot. And yeah, what's 1, his number? 1,827. And then Fish is 846. So Kobe, two. a thousand more made threes then, over uh, the yes. next closest person. And this makes wow. me feel like that. And like, LeBron can't catch him, you know. So like, there's nobody, no, nobody on the team now is catching Kobe. So no, they're gonna have got, to yeah. draft a Mike. They're gonna have to draft a guard, right? And that guy's gonna have to play for the Lakers. Maybe I don't know a good fifteen years. Uh, yeah, a good twelve, yes. a good twelve seasons, basically yeah, yeah. Uh, of of good volume threes, right? Because think of it this way: two hundred, so two hundred made threes a season for nine seasons would get you to 1,800, right? 200 made threes is, is like two and a half a game. That's not a small yeah. number of made threes it's a crazy. game. Yeah, it really it's crazy. is. Anyways. All right, la- the last one here, and then we'll wrap up the segment. And uh, this one is this one is just hard. I just thought it would be interesting. I don't know even the way that you guys are going to try to guess this, but it's usage percentage. So Lakers history of usage. Go ahead. All right, and this would go back to I think seventy four. I don't think they calculated this before then. Are there players before nineteen seventy four? So here, I'll I'll reset the clock. So yeah, it's yes, it's a good way of thinking about it, Pete. the the old the, the oldest player on here is Kareem, and he's number ten. So I'll just give you that one. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think All we would have right. gotten there. So Kareem, Kobe, yep, LeBron, yep, Magic. No magic, uh, actually. No. No magic is usage. Oh, is a score. Okay, so then uh, West? Lou Williams? Maybe? Lou Will. Lou, Lou Will, Will, number six. <laughs> Look, great Paul. Great Paul. Alex Caruso is still better. <laughs> Julius Randle? No, not a bad guess. So, uh, 30 seconds left. D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo? Yeah. D'Lo, number nine. D'Lo? Yeah. Okay. Is Clarkson yeah. on that list? No Clarkson. Okay. Uh, Good think rich. about a th- think about a Hall of Famer in, in Jamal the Wilkes. late seventies, kind of early eighties. Bob McAdoo, Bob Jamal McAdoo. Wilkes, McAdoo. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nice. then think about a nineties uh, player, explosive scorer. Van Exel. Nope. No bigger. Sabalos. Sabalos. Yeah. Sab- yes. And then uh, that's time. So AD is number four. Oh yes, oh, of course. Duh. Yeah, but it went, so Kobe, LeBron, Shaq, AD. Number five was the random one, and I, I was like, "What?" I had to go and do check on on a couple of basketball reference different pages. But Terry Teagle, yes, who, which is, and I I <laughs> yes. had that name in my as as my name for the day, which that's I, right, which is yeah, which is which is why because I was looking that up. I was like, "Wait, Terry Teagle? He had a he had a usage of twenty seven point one." Is so Orlando not. Woolridge on that list, Mike? No, that was it. It was so after okay. Teagle is Lou Wells, Sabalos, McAdoo, Russell, and yeah, uh, Teagle. Kareem. Yeah, Teagle's claim to fame was he hit the shot 
that magic passed um that when when magic became number one on the all-time assist chart it was terry teagle that hit the shot he had this patented turnaround baseline fadeaway uh but 27 percent usage that's crazy i would have never guessed that teagle was also a guy where he had like interesting jump shot form like oh yeah very unusual he would like lift his legs a little bit almost like he, he Teagle was it was an interesting dude. He let's just say he was one of those guys that could definitely play in this era as a like a go get me a bucket guy. So that that sort of dude has existed for a long time, right? Like the microwave sort sort of dude. But but Teagle would have fit right in 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 this era and probably shot a ton more threes than what he did back in his day. So I thought you guys did great. Uh, I, if you somehow managed to beat the combo of Pete and Darius and you didn't cheat, uh, tweet me. I'm, just, I'm curious. Let me know. Let me know how <laughs> you I bet you somebody gets Elgin freaking Baylor is on the rebounding list. That's I for know. sure. That's going to bother me hey, all day. All we got to go to <laughs> all these things easier said than done. But Pete, we got to do Utah preview, and I want we got to poke around the standings in the Western Conference because I've been I've been uh, obsessively you know and and annoyingly monitoring those lately. Let's do that when we come back on the other side of the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's start with those standings, Mike. What are you looking at? Well, the Timberwolves and the Clippers both played last night. And so this is the range now that the Lakers are going to be kind of looking at as you come out of the all-star break and the Clippers have somehow played three more games than the Lakers. So they have the same number of losses at 31, but they have 29 wins. Lakers have 26, uh, 26 wins. And then the Timberwolves trailed by double digits and at least by eight for almost all of the game. And then came back to beat Charlotte in the final second. So they are now a full four and a half games up uh, on the Lakers, which is a significant number. Now they do play one more time, but, and, and it's kind of, that's the thing that I'm watching. I I find myself throughout the year paying closer attention to whatever the teams are that are either right on top of or right behind the Lakers. Right. And so uh, Portland is on Portland weirdly, right. We thought that season was going to go, Oh, they're they're tanking into a tailspin. And instead, since they made all the moves, Anthony Simons has completely erupted and Josh Hart has come in and been like the perfect role player. And they've won three games in a row. Right. So they are three games back in the loss column, but I, I I guess it's a it's a weird thing where it's hard to see barring some sort of run that and and or collapse that the Lakers either improve or decrease their position drastically. 
despite what their schedule is going to be moving forward. And I, I wanted to kick that to you guys to see what stood out most to you when you when you picked that out. So I feel like they're stuck in ninth, man. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. You don't think the Clippers are catchable? I mean, how far are they behind the, the Clippers right now? They're a game and a half back. Well, right, game and tied a half, in the loss, tied in the yeah. loss column, yeah, three three wins basically down. So yeah, if the Lakers beat the Jazz, right, and then come out of the break, like you know, they're but they're close enough to me to to uh, to catch or not. They are close enough. Where I will say though is that I think I think I saw a, st- a stat last last night, Mike, that the Clippers have actually played the most games ever before the All Star break, like sixty one games. 60. They'll yeah, have played, I think, 61 before oh, yeah, they the All-Star. Oh, they have one more, yeah, yeah. Right? And so, when you think about it, the Lakers will have played, I think, they'll have 26 games left, and the Clippers will only have 21 games left. Or 24, I'm sorry, the Lakers will have 24 games left after this Jazz game tonight. And that three games, that's just, I'm looking at off days. And I'm looking at how many more times, like how many more games will you be rested? How many more games will you have rest advantage? How many more games will the other team be on a back-to-back and you won't? Or you'll get two days off and your opponent only has one day off. Like, I feel like the Clippers have schedule advantages built into that. And so, yes, I do think they're they're catchable, but the frequency of the games and how well they've been playing and their style of play in terms of being just like extra rest is going to help them because they're an energy and motor team as much as anything else. Now the Lakers have more high end talent available to them. The Clippers are a deeper team, but I guess from the Lakers side, is there evidence that they can go on a run? Because that's what is going to be needed here. Like going into this Jazz game tonight, the Lakers have 25 more games. Can they go better than 15 and 10? I think so. I do think so. Now, is there evidence for that? No. <laughs> There's that's not. Where at, right? So that's where I'm but, at, right? But, it's but, like, I'm, like I'm hedging here a little bit yeah, with that. And, and I, I totally understand two things. I think we have to get to that eighth seed to have a chance to make any noise in the playoffs. We... We don't have advantages over Phoenix that we have over Golden State. And those appear to be the top two. So if we end up getting a first round matchup with Golden State, I'm not saying, oh, we could win that easily or anything like that. But it's a much more tenable situation than a first round matchup against the Suns, which I think would end pretty quickly. Now, there isn't that evidence that the Lakers can go on a run. We are also going into the All-Star break with the main guys still haven't played more than three straight games with each other. And in this recent stretch, it's been amidst this kind of trade deadline and, and, you know, Russ's benchings and kind of this dip that I've been concerned about for the last month, pretty much of like, if we can stay together through this, we can possibly do something. But it is much more hope than it is evidence at this point. That said, the Clippers are playing well relative to their talent. But I think that they are a 500 team, maybe a little bit above. They're expecting Paul George back in the next couple of weeks. Covington's been a really good addition for them. Norman Powell just went down. They've had, you know, even more injuries than than we have and still been able to keep their heads above water. But my point is that it's still only a game and a half discrepancy where we have reinforcements coming in that, or, or not reinforcements coming in, but we have a, we have a group, we have our main guys ideally for the first time 
in an extended run, not just a couple of games here and there and this constant game of whack-a-mole, but hopefully we have that. And if we don't, we are going to be in the same place and we are going to be stuck in ninth. So it's certainly more hope than it is anything else. But I do think we need to get to that eighth spot. Mike, do you see us as kind of damned to that ninth spot or do you think that eight is gettable? Well, it's to me, that's more of just a circumstances will dictate and it's probably going to be decided by injuries. And then the Lakers also need a little bit of luck. And they have hardy, they've been hit by hard luck that has not hit several of these other teams, at least as badly. Like the Clippers, it certainly has with Kawhi and Paul George both being out. So they get credit for where they're at. And with the Timberwolves, though, like they, Cat hasn't missed significant time, you know, this year. The Nuggets, Jokic not only hasn't missed any time with injury, I mean, I think he missed one game, but somehow managed to not get COVID or at least not have it be tested while he had COVID. So like he's played the whole season. So there have been so many things like that in the teams just above them. Uh, Memphis has had a great run of health and certainly Phoenix and, and Golden State's man, uh, managed to maintain all this without Draymond. But I'm looking at it more like now, if the Lakers are not able to, like if they do stay where they're at, then what would that require them to do? So it would be a home game just to, for the right to play on the road against the loser of the 7-8 game. And that home game is going to be either if they stay where they're at and they fend that person off, either Portland or New Orleans. Uh, you know, Portland, I would say New Orleans is probably a little bit more dangerous to me if Zion comes back in that that context. But it's it's just a, it's a hard thing to do to already have that discussion, thinking about what the promise of this season was going in. To think, well, because that's a tall, that's a tough task. Not only to win that game, then win the next game on the road. And then have to go and play against, you know, Phoenix, most likely in that in that case. So getting into the eighth slot, not the eighth mm-hmm. seed, the eighth slot, right? Because that gives you the baked in, oh, we can lose a game. And then still play for the right to get into the playoffs as the eighth seed. And then you play the Suns, right? In theory. But if they get to the eighth seed or the eighth spot, sorry, again, geez, this play and stuff is still wrecking my brain. But if they get to the eighth spot and they play in that seven, eight game and they win, then they get to the seventh seed and then they get to rest even a little bit while the rest of these games play out more, right? And that's the idea of where I'm with you. That's their best case scenario. But forgive me if I'm not <laughs> if I'm not optimistic about the Lakers getting a best case scenario this season. Certainly because hasn't been damn, a year of that, because right? Because <laughs> damn it, the, the best case scenario has been like opposite magnetic pull. To what the Lakers have been feeling this year. I, I don't think we need anything crazy in terms of that much luck. I just think we need most of our really LeBron and AD. If we can keep LeBron and AD healthy, which is certainly no guarantee, right? LeBron's dealing with he made comments yesterday about his, you know, the knee issue is not going to get all the way better until he has time to rest it. And he doesn't have that time right now, right? So there's certainly no guarantee. But I feel like if we have LeBron and AD and we play the caliber of basketball that we did against Golden State or close to it, again, no guarantee that that's just a significantly better team than the one that's amassed the record that it has so far. Let's take another break because a big part of being able to get to that best or the better case scenarios, I think this game tonight is really important. So when we come back, we're going to preview it. 
Mike, we got to get this W tonight. To me, it's the first uh, like must-win game of the season. Rudy Gobert came back against the Houston Rockets, so they'll. It looks like they'll have him. But the Lakers beat them last time without Anthony Davis. Uh, Stanley Johnson had a big fourth quarter. They really targeted him in ball screen actions. Utah's a team I think we match up with fairly well because they don't have a lot of those wing athletes um, and and athletes in the front court. I'm curious your thoughts on, do you see tonight's game as a must win or must win-ish? And just what do you see in that matchup uh, against them? The whole must win category in sports, right, has, has spilt a lot of ink. I think that it's a from a morality from a morale standpoint and going into the break and having the Lakers feeling like they found some momentum this week with all of the optimism coming out of practice and with the way that they played energy wise and effort wise against Golden State. I think that I think they are going to get the kind of effort that they need to win. And that is like the win itself. This is where we get back into that whole category, right, of the nine seed versus the eight. And like if they're they can't keep losing games if they're going to have a chance to put themselves in that better position that we just signaled. But really what like this, it's the spirit that they need to find onto that they need to hold on to. And I know, Pete, that's something you've talked about where there's the danger in that slipping at a certain point if they don't find a way to to grasp onto it and. If Utah just comes out and plays amazing and hits a million threes and like the Lakers lose a game, does that necessarily kill a spirit if they play really well? Maybe that's the one exception. But if they if they don't come out and have that sort of all hands on deck effort, then I think we sort of have our answer as to what's going to happen outside of the break, because this is the prime circumstance for them to play good basketball. They have most everybody available. I get that Avery Bradley is going to be out. We know that Melo is still going to be out, but in terms of LeBron and AD starting there, and this is a Utah team that is not playing great, even though they just got Gobert back, and that probably gave them a boost. So for all of those reasons, I think the Lakers should win the game. They have more; they have much more on the line. They, uh, they are pretty healthy. They've had three days off. So if they're not able to find a way to win that game, then how can we forecast wins on the road at a place like Toronto or wherever as they start to get into that mix in March. So here's where I am is the Lakers have a very thin margin for error this season. And every key contributor who does not play cuts into that margin more. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I've noticed a fair amount in some of these games recently is that the Lakers have missed Carmelo Anthony. Mm -hmm. And he's been – sort of an under-discussed missing piece the last week and a half or so, but he's a key part of their bench units. And I think they've missed his ability to get you 15 to 20 points a night. And on nights where he really has, say, going more than 20. And against a team like the Jazz, you want those stretchy players. You want the guys who are going to be camped out beyond the arc and the ability to to make some shots. So that's my... That's why, like, I'm not arguing any of the stuff that you guys said, right? But if I'm previewing this game and, like, how do the Lakers actually go about winning, it's not just going to be about spirit and all of that other stuff because that stuff is definitely true. That stuff is there. Like, from a tactics standpoint, they're going to need to be able to space the Jazz out, knock down threes, and then get to the point where they can attack downhill against that spread out defense. And 
they're going to need to get stops. They're going to need to switch defensively. They're going to need to then get out and run in transition and be a slower, not very athletic beyond a couple of guys jazz team down the court. And they're going to need to do it over and over and over again. And that's the recipe to win this game. And so Mello, Mello's a key part of that. Now they can do all of that without Mello, but that's going to mean like, okay, well, can Trevor Ariza hit a couple of threes? Can Stanley Johnson hit a couple of threes, right? Can, like who is, who is going to be their shooter shooter? Can Malik Monk, even if he comes off the bench this this game can he have one of those nights where it's just like oh look Malik is five for eight from three and he starts out hitting his first three or four shots right and it's like uh uh-oh here comes Monk because those are the games where the Lakers start to get some momentum and they need I feel like they need one of those nights as well soon if not tonight yeah not every game can be hard like that's when your spirit starts to go is we've needed one of those games to go that way like that golden state game d where it was like you play like that and you get the win we've talked about this where we've gotten so few and far between and so tactically and and our our spirit all of it ties together as does the the fact that we only have like Stanley's really our only role player over six five when Carmelo Anthony's out that can contribute at a high level. And that no matter how much spirit you bring to the table, Mike, that's always gonna rear its ugly head in in some way or another. That said, I think we've got enough against a team like Utah tonight. But we have Avery Bradley out. And I'm very curious to see what Vogel does in in that absence. How do you view Avery's absence in this matchup? Probably who is going to guard Donovan Mitchell to start the game would be would have been my guess. Yeah, and just to touch on, Utah is a team, though, I think that you can benefit from by having an extra day to prepare for because they're going to play a certain way mm-hmm. as opposed to some team that comes in like a you know, Golden State, maybe that it's just a little different the way that they're going to, the way that those rotations are going to be. So that's one thing. In terms of Bradley being out, so the one guy that, Frank Vogel has not started has been Austin Reeves. And I know that in terms of who would I rather have defending somebody like Mitchell or Conley, would it be Monk or Reeves? Well, certainly Reeves, but I don't know. I think that, I think that Frank likes to, and all coaches like to have guys have some elements of continuity once things start to go a certain way. So Monk is the guy that has been starting the times that Avery hasn't. And so it would make sense to me if you went there, even if the matchup isn't ideal. But that does give the Lakers, you know, some more pop and some more shooting. And maybe you get Monk going early. Um, I think Reeves probably ends up being more of the finisher in this kind of game because of who those guards are. And so I don't know if it matters that much off the top. You know, you're it is the, it is going to be like Mitchell's a make or miss guy where he's going to take his shots and he's going to take a high volume of shots regardless of what's going on. They're not going to be great shots. They're going to be contested. They're going to be step backs. They're going to be off the dribble. And so it, it is a game where it's important to have somebody in his grill the whole time. But Monk can actually do a pre- pretty decent job of contesting those types of shots. It's just the, the worry would be that he can get around Monk easier than he could get around Reeves. And so that does make a difference. But I don't know if it's a death sentence for the game either way. So if Monk starts, he can't guard Donovan Mitchell. And honestly, if Austin starts, he shouldn't guard Donovan Mitchell either. I've got a very clear idea of how I want the defensive matchups to go in this game. And so AD is going to guard Gobert, 
LeBron is going to guard Royce O'Neal, who he normally guards. And that leaves the last three guys, right? So whoever starts in Avery Bradley's place, Bradley was going to guard Mitchell. Whoever starts in Bradley's place is not going to guard Mitchell. Whoever starts in Bradley's place is going to guard Mike Conley. And Stanley Johnson needs to start this game. And Stanley Johnson needs to defend Donovan Mitchell. And then Russell Westbrook needs to guard Bogdanovich. And those are the matchups to me. Now, in theory, against this Jazz team, the Lakers are going to switch a lot, right? Because that's what they did in the in the last game that they played where the Lakers won by six points. They switched a ton. They played small down the stretch. Anthony Davis did not play. And they closed with a lineup of LeBron and Stanley Johnson at center and power forward. And Stanley was guarding Gobert, and they were just switching a ton, right? Whether or not they switched that often with Anthony Davis, I'm not sure. But they need to switch a lot, Pete. And honestly... They the Lakers need to put their best perimeter defender with size on Mitchell, and that's Stanley Johnson at this point. And so, however else the matchups go, like it's sort of like playing whack-a-mole a little bit, and who is the next best guy for the next for the next jazz jazz player? But considering that AD has to guard one guy and Stanley Johnson has to guard another guy. Right. Those are very specific dudes. And then LeBron's going to guard O'Neal. He guards him every, every single, single time. It's just like, who's the least taxing guy for, for him to defend? For sure. And when you're in a switching lineup, in some ways, those are rarely the matchups, at least on, on offense. You'll get cross-matched sometimes, but a lot of times that's going to be them picking the best matchup for Mitchell. And if he's not in the game, maybe Jordan Clarkson, right? Or, one, you know, Mike Conley. And so I actually want to talk about Austin Reeves's defense in this respect on because generally by the end of the game in most instances we are in switching lineups and that's been the case for the last couple of years right the whole debate about switching versus drops and whatnot is more like how we start the game and just kind of the general dial of the team but when you come down to those last five minutes of a close game we've been switching for years part of what I like about Austin in that type of framework is He's an interesting defender to me in that he is great at giving ground. Now, the way that defenses attack him is to try to go through him, and he takes really steep angles. And this is a big difference between how he defends on the ball versus Stanley Johnson or or Aver Bradley. Both guys are very aggressive and can kind of overrun their angles. Austin's always taking these really deep recovery angles as guys try to go through his chest. And when they gather, he's stripping them. He and or he's just buying time for AD to come in from behind. AD's had a couple of blocks, for example, where it's Austin's just stayed in front of his guy. AD leaves his man and gets that peel off type of block to where I think that in the broader framework of I'm, I'm right there with you with the lineup and with Stanley on the ball, I've really liked that. And that's a place where he can be aggressive, even in a drop scheme, right? He can be aggressive on that and still that uses his inclination to be a very attacking defender well. But I think having like Austin has this kind of it's almost like judo-ish, this idea of it's you're a gonna, dance. He's yeah, he, he's in a dance with the offensive player, Pete. And it's just like that ability to stay in front. And, and that like, there are those viral clips that have gone on where it's just like, you've seen them in like football locker rooms where like players are like 
they're they're doing those walking routes and they're like speed walking and they're trying to like shake a guy, but everyone's walking. And that's how Austin is playing defense. He's just like, I'm just going to keep backing up and I'm going to keep you in front of me and I'm going to shadow and I'm going to shadow and I'm going to shadow. And sooner or later, you're going to try to put your elbow in my chest and I'm going to draw a charge or you're going to bring the ball down in order to gather to go up and I'm going to strip down. And the guys who don't do do that or they're crafty enough, they go over the top of him and he'll Mm -hmm. give up layups at times. But he's winning his win rate is fairly high for the amount of ground that he gives up defensively because it makes it look like he's playing soft. But in but in the end, he's not. He's leveraging the tools that he has, right? Keep, Which, keeping guys in front of you is so important in that type of defense too, where you're switching. And so utilizing those tools to, to do that, D, is, is, is super important. Yeah, and, and, and so at this point, would you start Austin tonight, Pete? Oh, man, I'd start Austin just... Yes. As a general rule, man, like you, like to me, he's been one of the the best players, and he and he fits like, and he's a two way player. Yeah, like Austin to to me has been a starting caliber player for us for for a little while now. And and so that's kind of where I am as well. Um, I've loved the way that Monk has upped his competitiveness defensively over the course of the year, like fifty plus games in versus where he was at like games one through five or games one through through ten. He's a different player on that end of the court competitiveness only makes up for so much spirit defensively only makes up for so much and he's not going to be locked in all of the time defensively he's just not right and so it's harder to start him when teams are usually at their best in terms of like the script of the game and how we're going to attack and what is our game plan. He's like a nickel cornerback to me. And it's just like, okay, well, if we're playing nickel, then we know the defense is going to try to attack us a certain way, right? They're going to be like, okay, well, y'all are in nickel. You want to defend against the pass? Well, guess what? That nickel back is going to have to come up and stop the run. He's going to have to stick his nose in there a few mm-hmm. times, and we're going to run at him, right? No, you should be a linebacker. You're not a linebacker? Too bad. We're going at you. Right. And to a certain extent, that's Monk. Right. He has very useful tools defensively, but there are going to be times where it's just like, oh, well, you're playing a small dude and you're switching. Or we can get a switch eventually against you like and we can pull out the teams have known to like another thing the teams are doing against the Lakers, Pete, is that they've been noticing that like. LeBron and AD and bigger guys are scramming out Monk. And so they're pulling those dudes out. They're lifting them above the break, right? Like above the break three. And they are saying, you can't scram from this position. It's and, too far. Yeah. And so now you've got to hold up down there. And it's creating, like like I say all of the time, the other team has coaches too. Right. They're not just going to let you do the thing that, that you want to do. And, and so I'm at the point where I give Austin that chance, Mike. And it's the point that you just said, though, Darius, about the, you know, the other team has coaches, too. They're going to have a plan for what they want to do with the Lakers. But this, to me, has to be the rally around the flag game. This has to be just the effort game, just where they're going to do more. They're going to do whatever it takes to find a way to win the game. And all the matchups, all those things are important. They've been spending time in practice on them. But ultimately, this has to be like on the first possession, there should be some sort of a signal 
right about the seriousness that the Lakers are approaching this game with. No, amen. All to me, it's an all of the above situation. We are at that point in the season, and it would be a nice way to go into the the All Star break. Is without a win, I think I really think we need it. We will be back tomorrow to recap how it went. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you Not kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.